chapter three. If, you're, if you've got your Bibles and you're there, why don't you holler at me and let me know by saying, I'm there. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Oh, we love you, we love you, we love you. We love you. Jesus says the spirit of the living God falls upon us. What it awakens in our heart is love for you. I'm reminded even as I'm preparing to preach tonight, as I'm praying, I'm reminded of the great words of Bernardo Clairvaux so many hundreds of years ago who said that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the kiss of God upon us that awakens us to the love of God. And so we're here tonight. I don't know where we're at. We're all over the map. Some of us are coming in and things are just wonderful and others of us are coming in and the bottom feels like it's fallen out of life and yet you just kiss us. You, um, you love us. You shower grace upon us and it's the grace of God that brings salvation. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so I'm praying that tonight, Lord God, that we would surrender to you, that we would yield to you, that we would give all that we are and all that we have to you, that we'd hold nothing back from you. And we say to you tonight that we belong to you. you. You can have your way with us. And we know that when you have your way, it's just good things everywhere. You're the God who raised Jesus from the dead. You're the God who lifted Israel up out of Egypt. You're the God who promises new creation. And when you have your way with our lives, what you do is you make them good and you make them true, and you make them sound, and you make them beautiful. And tonight, we want to avail ourselves of that, that is in your heart to do for us. So grant that, we're asking. May the words of the preacher's mouth, I'm praying tonight, and the meditation of the hearer's heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Taming the tongue, James chapter three and verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. All of us stumble in many ways and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is a perfect human being. Isn't that interesting? That if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole being, the whole human being. If that person can control what they say, they're a perfect person able to keep their whole body in check. And then he gives some examples. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us so we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're very large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, he says, the tongue is a small thing, isn't it? It's a little old piece of flesh. But it makes these great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Indeed, he says, the tongue also is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. We're being positive and encouraging tonight on New Life East. I just love it. Thanks be to God for this. All kinds of creatures, he goes on. Birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, he says, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, he says, it should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. James knows that there is promise and peril in the tongue. There's promise and peril 
in the tongue. And like a good teacher, James, this is a real kind of hard right that he's taking here into this bit of teaching. But he's actually left breadcrumbs for us to show us the promise and the peril of the tongue all throughout the book. You might consider James 1 and verse 5. With our tongues, we're able to ask God for wisdom. Or in James 1.19, he says that with our tongues, we can speak slowly. So when we're inclined to just kind of pop off, we can exercise self-control. He's talked about that. In 2.12, he's talked about how we can speak and act according to the law that gives freedom. So there's promise in the tongue. But on the other hand, with our tongues, we also, as we have seen, we can accuse God of tempting us, right? We can shake our fists at heaven. 126, he says that we can deceive ourselves by not keeping a tight rein on our tongues. Chapter 2, 1 through 5, he says that we can destroy community by showing favoritism. So rich people come in, we go, ooh, you have a nice seat, right? And then poor folks come in, we go, why don't you just go over there, stand in the back, right? Tearing community with our tongues. 216, he says that we can speak empty words of blessing to those that are in need. You remember that? So you see somebody in need, you go, oh, be warm, be filled, right? It's just empty. So the tongue is destructive in that way. And so James has laid his foundation well. And what he does now in this piece of text is that he tilts his teaching towards the peril of the tongue, okay? But this section of text is exclusively tilted towards the peril of the tongue. And I want you to look back at what he says, starting back in verse six. Look down in your Bibles or up on the screen with me. He says that the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. What does it do? It corrupts the whole body, he says. It sets the whole course of a person's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a very negative assessment of the tongue, isn't it? All kinds of animals, he says, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being. Everybody say, no human being. No human being, he says, can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with it, we praise our Lord and Father. But then on the other hand, we're cursing human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth, come praising, cursing. He goes, brothers and sisters, this should not be. James sees that the tongue is capable of getting us into profound trouble and causing a great deal of evil and wickedness in our world. For James, who is steeped in the wisdom tradition of ancient Israel. James is a man who knew his Bible well, ladies and gentlemen. He knew his Bible well. He knew that speech in the scriptural record is a really important thing. He knows that God is the God of speech. But God, God speaks. When God externalizes himself, he does it as his speech. He, he speaks a word. And we learn that everything that is came into being by the breath of his mouth. The scripture says, by the word of the Lord, where the heavens made, he says. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God, all he has to do is speak. His word is powerful and things come into being. And just by contrast, on the other hand, when God has judgment that he needs to enact in the world, what he does is he speaks and his speech tears down evil in the world, but he's surgical with it. God is never just sort of popping off on things. But God, like a good surgeon, is cutting out the cancer of evil in his world by his words. Now, human beings in the scripture have been made in the image and the likeness of God. And so our words also are powerful. With our words, what we can do is we can praise God as we just did. We can lift up hearty thanks and, and, and blessing unto the Lord. We can tell the truth with our tongues, right? 
that we can build up other people with our tongues. We can speak words of blessing and encouragement and life over people. And also by the same token, we're capable of putting powerful evil out into the world with our tongues. That with our tongues, we can curse God. We can lie and skew the truth. And we can use our words to burn other people down, to tear them down. And so the writer of Proverbs captured this so beautifully, the summary statement of Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, whichever side of that you love, if you love the life-dealing portion of the tongue or the death-dealing portion of the tongue, you'll follow it one way or another. And whatever you love, that's the fruit that you're going to eat. Are you with me, ladies and gentlemen? That if what you love is the life-dealing part of the tongue, then what you'll reap is life from what you sow with your tongue. But if, on the other hand, what you love is death-dealing with your tongue, then what you will reap is death, the death that you sow with your tongue. And I think that in our day and age, mostly we are studied in death-dealing with our tongues. That we've lost the ability, we've lost the capacity, we've lost the awareness that our tongues really are a powerful force for life in the world. Mostly what we're doing is we're tearing down. Mostly what we're doing is we're setting the world on fire. And Jesus understood this well, didn't he? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, I tell you that anybody who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, Raka means something like moron or idiot. Raka, he says, you'll be answerable to the court. But anyone who says you fool will be what? In danger of the fire of hell. Well, why is that? Because that person has made an agreement with hell already with their mouths. And so what they do is they let hell come out of their mouths and they have set at least their little world around them on fire with the fire of hell. Brothers and sisters, what James is asking us to do tonight is to stop and to consider the many ways that our tongues spread hellfire in the world around us. We used to be more aware of this, I think. I think we had, used to have a deeper awareness of how hard tongues could be forces for death and how they could also be forces for life. We used to have a deeper awareness of how just because the tongue was such a powerful thing, it needed to be chastened in powerful ways. I'm reminded of the ancient wisdom of the desert. One of the desert fathers, Abba Arsenius, in the fourth century, Arsenius worked for the Roman senator, and he was so disgusted by Roman culture that he felt the call of, of God to go into the desert to pursue a purer way of life. And the text says, this is from the sayings of the Desert Fathers, that having withdrawn to a solitary life, listen to this, Arsenius prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, me, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. And he heard a voice saying to him, Arsenius, flee, be silent, and pray always. For these are the sources of sinlessness. In other words, that chaos that's happening over there in culture with how people are talking to one another, Arsenius, don't have anything to do with that. Brother, disengage from that. Learn to just shut your mouth, Arsenius. But you've gotten into so much trouble with your mouth and all your pomposity and your pride and all of the double speak that's going on in Roman culture. Arsenius, your tongue is going to have to learn a whole new way of being. And you can't do it under the same conditions that you were laboring under in Rome. So Arsenius, flee. 
be silent, and then what? Pray, always. It's like Arsenius's first steps into repentance were him learning to use his tongue to do one thing and one thing alone. And what was that? To pray. That you're not going to use your tongue anymore to torch the world around you. But what you're going to do is you're going to learn to get down on your knees and say these words, Arsenius. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's like in that act, somehow the tongue begins to go right towards the end of his life. Put that previous slide up on the screen. When Arsenius was on his deathbed, he said, I have often repented of having spoken, but never of having been silent. (laughs) Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we need to do a better job of managing what is coming out of our mouths. I'm reminded of the wise words of Ecclesiastes. I learned this one when I was a little kid. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Guys, we've forgotten this. What we look for are the loudest voices in the room and the most popular voices in the room and the most powerful voices. And because of the corruption of our own hearts, we tilt ourselves towards those voices. But Ecclesiastes says, the loudest people in the room are not the smartest people in the room. The loudest voices are not the wisest voices. And if you want to find wisdom, what you're going to do is you're going to have to find those people that are whispering wisdom in the quietness. And in fact, they're so chastened by the fear of God that they might not even be all that eager to share their wisdom because they want to make sure that they're speaking circumspectly. Train your ears to listen to the voice of wisdom. I'm telling you, in our culture, we've almost completely reversed this. That sense of restraint with our tongues that protects our lives, we've totally lost that. What we have glorified in our culture is the value of unlimited self-expression. And we think that everybody has just got this sort of obligation to be themselves. Whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever's going on in the inside, you just need to externalize that. Just get that out because you've got to be true to you. Well, let me just say something to you for a second, all right? It's no good being true to you when what you are is a lie, all right? And so what we've done in our culture is we've told people, listen, every silly, foolish, false, self-justifying, self-aggrandizing, angry, malicious, hateful, stupid thought you have, why don't you go ahead and tweet that? The world definitely needs to hear from you, okay? What we've done is we've told people that the best thing that you can do with your mouths is just give expression to yourself. And we've torched our world with hellfire. Verbal napalm everywhere. And then we wonder why life under the sun is so miserable. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, it's miserable miserable because we've made it miserable. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And what we love is the death dealing with the tongue. We've fallen in love with that. Three things I think that we do with our tongues that destroy our world. Evils that we work with our tongues. Number one, we attack other people. We attack other people. That when people uh, mistreat us in some way or they displease us in some way, there's something that we see in them that we don't like or we disagree with. What we do is we go on the offensive. 
We use our words to tear people down. We've lost the capacity to nuance things and to think things through and to draw people's value systems out so that we can talk about that and understand it. Instead, what we do is we just hurl verbal grenades at people we attack with the tongue. Number two, I think that we divide and we conquer and we do this by labeling other people. Oh, you know, the reason that you think that is you're a Democrat. Come on, I gotta be stepping on somebody's toes here. I'm trying to. Oh, of course you would say that. You're a Republican. You're just one of those Fox News Christians, you know? Labeling people. Oh, the reason she says that is because she's white. Oh, the reason he says that is because he's black, right? We label people. We throw people in a category where we've decided ahead of time what they think. We've decided ahead of time what their values are. We've decided ahead of time where they belong in the world. And so by throwing that label on them, we can dismiss them and put them over there. And what we're doing when we're doing that, brothers and sisters, is we are dividing up the world. And I've got news for you. God is not in the business of dividing up his world. But the Son of God came among us and took mortal flesh and bled and died to reconcile the world to himself. And when we use our tongues to divide the world, we are committing blasphemy. The Son of God spilled holy blood to reconcile the world to himself. And what we do is we keep slicing it up. We are acting against the Son of God with our tongues. We attack, we divide, and we conquer. The other thing that we do with our tongues is that we curse. Oh, you're just, oh, I'm just. You'll always, you'll never, it will always, it will never. You've done this, I've done this too, you know? When we look at our lives, or we look at the lives of the people around us, and what we do is we pronounce a judgment on them in some way, or we pronounce a judgment on our lives from our limited human perspective, we do that. And so then we dismiss things that God is trying to bless and build up. We act against God, we attack, we divide and conquer, we curse. And the tragic result, brothers and sisters, of all of that, all of this is that our world is engulfed in hellfire, and God's people all too often aid and abet it. That's the tragedy, isn't it? That we're those who come on a week after week basis into the house of God to submit ourselves to the Lord and to hear the word of God that alone can save us. And yet our witness in the world is mixed up. And somehow we find the gravitational pull of toxic speech to be too much. It starts pulling us into its wake. And James understands this. He says in verse 10 that out of the same mouth come both what? Praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. He says, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No. For James, it's absurd. It's fantastical. It's, it's something out of a fairy tale. How could that happen? Or he says, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? It's like going to an apple tree and seeing bananas hanging on it. What? It's an absurdity. He says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water, right? So, but what you'd love to do with a teaching like this is that you'd love to be able to listen to James teaching and go, oh, okay. So what we need to do then is we just need to get better with our tongues, don't we? Right? We just need to get better with our mouths. I need to find some 21 day plan 
to clean up my act a little bit and to just become a nicer Christian who knows how to speak words of blessing and not cursing quite so much. Wouldn't that be great? No, I would love that as a preacher, you know? And, but James doesn't really give us a way out. In fact, this is one of the places in Scripture where Scripture locks us up in sin. <laughs> and it shows us that the situation is hopeless. Look at this, verse 8 of chapter 3. This is where he gets us. He gives us this teaching on the, the power of the tongue and all the evil of the tongue. And then he says this, James 3, 8. I want you to say it real loud. No human being can tame the tongue. What? But James, come on, man. <laughs> There's got to be better news than that. Where's like the moment where you're like, but buck up, guys. You can do it. I believe in you. Like, where is that moment, James, that no human being can tame the tongue? Ouch. Where does that leave us? Well, I think it leaves us in need of God. Matthew chapter 19, you know the story. Scripture says that just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as your self. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, who then can be saved? I want you to stop right there. Jesus is talking to this guy, this rich young man who's kept the commandments flawlessly and yet he hasn't found a way quite into the kingdom yet. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, sell all that dumb stuff, man. Give it away to the poor and you're going to have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And the young man can't do it. He goes away sad because he's got great wealth. And Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you have heard the teaching that says, well, you know, the eye of the needle was actually this kind of place near one of the gates in Jerusalem where the camels had to kind of get down on their knees and kind of they could, if they really tried very hard, they could kind of slide through. You ever heard that? Yeah. It's absurd. It's not true. There was no such thing. What Jesus is literally saying, <laughs> literally actually saying, is that it's easier for a big old camel to get through a tiny little eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, which is why the disciples are so astonished. They go, what? We thought the riches were a sign of God's blessing. In any event, where have you left us? Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said this, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, what God can do is God can take camels through the eye of needles. What God can do is God can loosen up rich people's grip on their possessions. What God can do is God can take hell-breathing tongues like ours and baptize them in the Holy Spirit and in fire so that they learn how to speak blessing. God can. James says nobody can tame the tongue. Nobody can. 
God can. And when we yield ourselves to God, what happens is the word of God himself descends into our corrupt human words and he breaks our resistance and baptizes us again in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, stand tonight. You know, we're not able, quite able to take communion yet. That would have been the perfect way to end this service, but we can do this. We can make our way back into the healing of our speech by repenting and by turning our hearts to the Lord. And so with this message in your heart and your mind, I want you now from your heart to make this your prayer of repentance and say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Jesus, come upon us tonight, we pray. Come upon us tonight, we pray. We ask that all all of the ways and places in which we are addicted to breathing death with our mouths, we ask that you would descend into our lives. We ask that you would rebuke us to the uttermost on that. We ask that you would save our speech. We ask that you would raise us up tonight as a people who know how to speak only what God has said that we confess, that we speak back to you, your words, and we reflect your words into the world, that the world might be healed. Come, oh God, tonight among us, we pray. Do that we're asking. Do that we're asking. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, amen.